Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. For the holidays, we're giving you a bonus edition of the Beyond the Page podcast, and our guest is the most candid columnist in the golf industry, our own Tim Morgan. Tim's Granny Awards were just released in the print and digital editions of Golf Course Industry, and we thought it would be great to provide an audio compliment to those awards. So consider this the audio version of the Grannies and the most candid podcast about 2020 you're going to hear. Well, Tim, it's great to have you on the podcast. Everybody has already read the, the Granny Awards, so we're going to do an audio version here. And the first thing I wanted to ask you was how difficult was it for the selection committee to, to get the grainies right this year. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate everything you do for me. You know, the grainies were interesting this year because there was in such flux with the COVID-19 impacted everything, and a lot of times people didn't know really what side of the fence they should jump to, but uh, the committee sat down and, and, uh, and grounded out, and here we go. So there are some things we need to mention. There are some, you know, good things and not so good things. We've had some people leave us, and uh, but once again, as you know, Guy, the golf course superintendent, seems to come to the top of the list every year, so that's a good sign. Yeah, Tim, you've been in this game pretty much your entire life. What did you learn about golf, and what did you learn about the industry in 2020 that maybe you didn't quite know or understand? Well, I always learned something about golf because it's a wonderful game, and, and you're never going to master it, and there's, there's, it's just the, the greatest challenge for everybody but what i did learn is that it's it's a lot more popular than people make it out to be it's not that you know old guy sport with the polyester plaid pants and the cart it's, it's a little bit more to that and you know with the opportunity to get outside and, and try to get some exercise golf jump to the head of the list because you can kind of separate yourself it's, it, it is a solo sport for the most part it it all falls on you but uh, I think people found the benefits of the game. I mean, it's a challenge. It requires thinking and patience. There is some exercise involved. If you're going to throw your, your sack on your back and go walk nine or 18 holes, you're going to get a couple miles and burn a few calories. Uh, you're outside. I mean, it's a game played outdoors, so uh, it's not in a stadium. It's not in a bubble, and you have to adapt. And I think what happened is people started to realize what you and I and many of our listeners realized that uh, – Golf is an outstanding game, and it's fun. And, you know, we're not playing the Open every day, so get out there, hit it. If you hit it well, good. Go chase it and do it again. So golf stepped right up, which is great. When everything happened with COVID-19 in March, were you one of those doomsayers that thought maybe golf would be in trouble, or were you uh, more in line with the people that thought, okay, let's give it a few months and maybe golf will come out of this in good shape? Well, that's a good question, Guy. I don't think I would ever say be a doomsayer for golf because of how I feel for it. And I think the true passion that golfer understands, you know, there's some critics that say that, you know, you based on the on the numbers that of people that play, we're going to be somewhere between 22 and 28 million because it's a niche sport. Well, it's a niche sport because people didn't have the time to play. Now they have the time and they got to go do something. So, oh, why not hit a golf ball? Maybe we go to the range, maybe do a little top golf. You know, even if you started a putt putt and kind of say, "Well, it's kind of neat," and get outside, and you know, it, 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 I'm not a doomsayer. I think golf stepped up. Uh, what I learned is, like we said, that, that you know, golf is a very charitable group. You know, people, for the most part, it's an affluent sport. We get that, but still, that affluence kind of came to the, the top of the list. You know, I mentioned in the humanitarian award award about clubs hope. Club Help's a great organization that helps golf courses raise money for their charities. 
So I think that's one area that stepped up and people kind of wrapped their hands around this organization to help them, you know, with outings and, and donations uh, for their charities. So all this stuff came to the head. I don't think golf is, is ever going to go away. It's been around 400 years or whatever it's been. And it's, as I said, the challenge and the uniqueness of the sport is always going to attract people. And now, Having said something about attraction, if you watch the father-son championships uh, that they had on TV this weekend down in Florida, I mean, you see an 11-year-old uh, Charlie Woods out there playing. If, you're, if your kid's watching that and he's seeing how cool it is to be Tiger Woods' son and what a cool game golf is, I might want to go to the range with my dad. So that's good stuff. I think golf's has surfaced and will continue because I don't see a huge difference in 2021 than we did in 2020 as far as some of the restrictions and, and the virus really not getting enough vaccines out just yet. So golf is going to be the, the option to, to, to get outside, socialize, get some exercise, and have some fun. Tim, you live on Hilton Head Island now. What what had, has the vibe been like in a place like Hilton Head Island where there's a lot of tourists coming in, but there are also a lot of residents? What was the vibe in South Carolina on the coast like as this year went on? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, back in, in, in May, April, May, June, uh, the governor was it was kind of savvy because South Carolina and Hilton Head specifically, Hilton Head is a big beach destination from about end of April when the Heritage is played through Halloween. So we do get a lot of out-of-state tourism, which is good for the economy, whether it's golf or non-golf. But the governor was pretty smart in the fact that, you know, South Carolina is a very state, especially where we live. Uh, you have the ocean, you, you know, so you're fishing, swimming, surfing, sailing. You have uh, a wilderness, so you have trails, hiking, biking. Uh, you know, there's a lot of walking. Of course, we have golf and tennis. And the, and the climate, well, you know, sitting here today in the end of December, it's 60 degrees and sunny. So, geez, guess what I'm going to do later today? And then as it started to get busier and busier because people were coming down from regions north and east and north and central, uh, all of a sudden, you know, people were not paying attention to the restrictions. Uh, and they're not doing the social distancing and the mask wearing and what have you. So the governor kind of cracked down a little bit and then left it up to the local governments. As we all know, all politics is local. So then, the, the, you know, the, the town of Hilton had put restrictions on because they were given the power to do so. And that kind of hurt us in the middle, early to the middle of the summer. But uh, then we kind of got things under control. Again, the governor started to lift some of the restrictions. Uh, our gym reopened, you know, our 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 fitness center uh, off, off outside of our development, they closed for about six weeks, and then everybody kind of figured it out. Well, you get, you're given a spray bottle, wear a mask, go work out. So uh, South Carolina is a little different. And golf has been booming here. Uh, the, the daily fees have been extremely busy, even throughout the summer when we had some miserable weather for golf. I mean, super hot and super humid. They were busy. The private facilities... The communities like where I live, live in, uh, it was nonstop. And people's rounds have been up, you know, 30 to 40 percent. And uh, I don't see that going away anytime soon. Yeah, when you think Hilton Head, a lot of people think Harbor Town. They think the RBC Heritage. And the RBC Heritage is one of uh, many events that got moved this year. It was supposed to be in April, ended up being in June. Tim, you've uh, worked agronomy and set up for dozens, if not hundreds, of golf tournaments. How tough was it for those superintendents that had to move big events and how great was it to see them make the adjustments in the way that they did? Well, I, you know, the movement for us 
which is usually the, the hook for Hilton Head and the heritage is come on down and relax after the Masters and, and enjoy a little low country lifestyle. And, and just, you know, you always see the pictures of Calabogie Sound and, and Jim Nance talking about some sailboat off in the distance. Uh, when it was moved from an agronomic perspective, you know, the resort oversees its golf course, golf course for that particular event. So there were some transition issues. Uh, but by that time, most of the, the, the overseed is out of the putting greens, and the transition was well. You know, I got a couple of texts from Bland Cooper, the PGA Tours uh, agronomist for that particular event, and he was very positive about the conditioning. Uh, I think where they were smart was the first tournament, I believe, was played at Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, and the, 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 the uh, host sponsor, and I, I, I have a lapse of who that is, they really, really wanted to put on an event, you know, show the world that let's get back to normal, let's have some normalcy. But the best thing is they played Colonial first, which was in early June, as opposed to where the original date was going to be for the rescheduling was middle to the end of July, I think. Well, I did the Women's Open at Colonial 1991 in the middle of July, and that's not when you want to have tournament golf. Uh, that was, and that, those were the days of bent grass greens. But everybody adapted. I think the, uh, as we said in our uh, our uh, award for the uh, superintendent, you know, we spoke out about the uh, the superintendent at uh, Harding Park and uh, Kevin Tehan. We talked about Steve Rabideau, Wingfoot, and of course Brad at Augusta. Everything was rescheduled. Now, of course, Augusta, the overseeding again, similar to here at, at Sea Pines was done in, in the early fall. The, the timing was essential. And they played on immature ryegrass uh, as opposed to what they would see in April. They had a boatload of rain. We had some warm weather. But still, you know, Brad and the bunch did a great job. Just like Steve at, at Wingfoot had to prepare, a, a, you know, a northeastern golf course at the end of summer, not on Father's Day. So I don't really see where we had any huge, huge agronomic issues that would – you know, keep you from watching the event. And and like I said, those people that criticize Augusta for not the same conditions, I think they should be ashamed of themselves because what, you know, what they did is pulled off was outstanding. And I gave the Masters and Augusta National a whole different look to the public, which still was pretty cool. You got a little fall color. You had a little different condition, a little different sunlight. So uh, I, I think it, the superintendent, they the one quality every superintendent has is the ability to adapt to just about any situation if given enough time to prepare. And, you know, you, you look at the, the, the best makeup and styling category, those those three three guys and all superintendents hit it out of the park. Yeah, and Charles Schwab sponsors the uh, tournament now at Colonial Country Club. And, Tim, let's not forget about the, the women's side and some of the adjustments that were made. I mean, M- Mission Hills out in the uh, desert of California with the a- ANA Inspiration that was supposed to be in April got played in September. That's a huge adjustment right there. And how about Champions Golf Club going from well, yeah. May to December and some of the, the daylight and dormant Bermuda grass issues that Chris Ortmeyer and his team had to face? Well, I thought, I thought the look there for Champion, and, you know, Mr. Burke's a hoot. And I've enjoyed knowing him for a long, long time, and I'm, I'm glad that he finally – and his course finally got national or global recognition with the best players. You know, the best thing, this had nothing to do with agronomics. The best thing about the Women's Open Championship and from a competitor's perspective to me was the clothing and the color schemes and the styles are just, I mean, they're out of this world. I think it was awesome. I mean, I was just tuning in. 
not only to watch the golf, because I love the golf and they're the best swings in golf, but the, the wardrobe and the colors, I mean, it was, it was great. So let alone just something non-turf related, uh, they did a good job. And it was interesting to see kind of playing conditions with painted fairways and the contrast between unoverseated rough. And, you know, as any golfer will understand, Guy, as you saw at the Women's Open, a championship, again, it's a, it's a game played outdoors. So guess what? It's still a major championship. Just because it was played at a different time of year doesn't mean anything, just like the Masters are played at a different time of the year in the U.S. Open. It does mean a winner is a winner, and you're still going to have the greatest players uh, of their generation play, but it was a different time. It was cold, it was damp, and the players had to adjust to a totally different atmosphere, which should be a lesson to everybody that's out there that's taking up the game or, or even has played it for a long time, that you adapt to the weather. The weather's not supposed to adapt to you. If you're going to be a good player, you go play in all conditions, and if you win in all conditions, Jack, Tiger, you know, Arnie, whomever, uh, then, then you've really conquered the game. And that, I think by showing a different side of these major championships, not only from a preparation perspective, but from a playing perspective, it was a good learning tool for those that watch. Uh, speaking of women, Tim, at the beginning of the year, I believe you attended the, uh, one of the women in golf events at the Golf Industry Show, and then you wrote a column for us in the fall. Where do you think the industry is at with getting more women involved? Were there any strides or progresses made in 2020? Well, I don't walk in, in, in their shoes, but I am not, I'm not overwhelmed with the response of our industry toward involving women on all levels, whether it's turf grass or otherwise. Now, the argument is it's, it's not up to us, it's up to them. Well, okay, I, I'll take that, but I still think if we're going to be an open and egalitarian organization and profession, then we should do it. And I met some really cool people in that uh, that function during the GIS this year that uh, had some interesting opinions. Uh, a lot of people, they don't want to be uh, recognized for their opinion, but, you know, it's it's the same old, same old. you got to work twice as hard for half the pay. It's nice that following our article that others brought it to the attention, other uh, industry periodicals and websites kind of brought it to the attention. But, you know, I've always felt strong about women in the game, and that goes back to my time with my father. <laughs> and, you know, my mother was a good player. But more importantly, when I worked for the USGA and uh, having an association with Judy Bell, uh, I learned a lot about women's golf and the history of women's golf. And then I got to meet those great players, whether it was Patty Berg or Mickey Wright. Uh, you know, uh, there's so many. I can't have a mental block on one woman that I really enjoyed. It'll come to me later watching her swing. Uh, but there was a uh, – Carol Mann was another one. These, these are the founders of the game. Still don't get enough respect. We've got a long way to go. And I'm not really satisfied with where we are where we, we should go. I think – the GCSA needs to be held accountable, and we all need to be held accountable for promoting women in our profession. Tim, what was one event this year, whether it was a, a major championship or something we see on TV or something that we go to every year in the golf industry that wasn't held in an in-person format that you really missed? Well, I missed Carolina. I missed Ohio State. Uh, you know, the turf conference is there. I missed the Jersey show uh, because I miss seeing my friends. 
And not only that, but I, I also miss, you know, the learning opportunities, even in a casual conversation and talking with someone that's smarter than I am. I'm going to learn something. But it's just the camaraderie of, of not being able to either go to a tournament more, or, more importantly, go to one of our education shows and our turf shows. I, I miss that. I, I miss not being able to see see people. And, and you know, I've, there's some folks that I I haven't seen in over a year and, and maybe try to catch up with on the phone, but it's not the same. So the conferences are, are number one for me, big or small, even local meetings, you know, here in, in, in uh, our, our vicinity on, on the island. Uh, or regional, i.e. the Carolinas or the or the New England show, or nationally. And, and we're not going to have our GIS in February. You know, Paul Vermeulen and I, uh, Paul, who we all know is the senior vice president of PGA Tour Agronomy, and Paul and I are dear friends and done a lot of tournaments together. You know, we did our GIS 15-minute thing uh, being recorded last week, and it's, it's, well, it was great, and I appreciate the GCSA doing what they're doing, it's, it's still not the same because you don't have that face-to-face interaction with someone in a classroom. And whether you're sitting in the class or teaching in the class, that's what I miss. Tim, what do you think's being lost the longer we go without seeing each other in person in the golf industry? I mean, phone calls and emails and tweets and whatever, Instagram is all fun, but uh, I enjoy, you know, shaking someone's hand, getting a hug, you know, showing a little brother love there and and uh, it just you know, the, 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 the eye-to-eye contact where you can really see. I, you know, I'm old school. Uh, I, I don't want to see anybody get sick and, and move to the next life because of this. But uh, I do uh, miss seeing people and my friends. And I have a dear friend here on the island. He's a little bit older than I am, and we play a lot of golf together. But he's, he's just a little worried about, you know, coming from one island to the other because he doesn't want to get sick at 83 years old. And I don't blame him. So that's what I miss. I just miss the face-to-face. Tim, you're somebody that's always trying to learn things, always trying to figure out what, what will be next to help superintendents. Have you had the opportunity to attend any of these virtual events? And if so, what are your impressions of them? Well, they're rustic. I mean, it's a little early on. People are, this is a new venue to go to or a new avenue to walk down, but I took advantage of as many live webcast, podcast, virtual learning things that I could when I had the time, and I thought the Carolinas, uh, the North Carolina State Field Day, again, I'm a little partial to the Carolinas now that I'm down here, but they went, they did their field day, um, you know, in in a webcast, and each presenter, I know, had 20 minutes or whatever it was. Uh, the last one, uh, they closed with Fred Yelverton doing, you know, goosegrass research trial somewhere in, in North Carolina. And when it was done, Fred called me and said, well, did you watch? And I said, yeah. He said, what did you think? And I, I sat here for three and a half hours because I didn't want to miss the information. So I think as we refine these things, we can get better and better in the production and the timing because a lot of us aren't used to speaking into a little eye or a camera. I mean, if you've not been interviewed or you've been on TV or done something for television, they ask you to stare into an inanimate object. But you know, I'm kind of doing that right now, talking to you. So if you can do it on a phone without any reservations, you can look into a camera and do it too. But it's not easy. But that'll come. People will get used to it, and then they'll learn to, you know, they have a time frame, and they'll learn to get their information out, stick to the valid and most important points, and then after it's done, 
you know, just like the GIS this year, when Paul and I finish with our 15 minutes, we will be online uh, to take any questions during the 15 minutes of our presentation, and then we'll be, uh, we can also volunteer to linger a little longer if we want to ask or, or answer more questions that are asked of us. So just take, it's like anything, it's like your golf game, you're going to have to just, you know, perfect your flaws and get out there and, and uh, hone, hone the experience. It'll get better. I, I still get the learning point, and I'll forgive someone's, you know, uh, they're, they're really not used to speaking to a camera. Uh, they'll get used to that. I'll, I'll forgive them for it. I'm, I'm looking for. I'm not looking for performance. I'm looking for information. Okay, back to what's happening on the golf course. We're going to go through some things here that happened in 2020 and uh, get your take on them and hear whether you think that they're going to be long-term changes or, or just temporary because of COVID-19. Uh, the first one, bunkers without rakes, Tim. It's still a practice in a lot of parts of the country. Is that something that might stick long-term or something that is just here because of the, the, the time we're in? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's going to be almost 30% that will want rakes back in the bunkers because they'll get tired of the footprints or the, the guy that doesn't even you know smooth over his craters that he or she made. You might see that more from the private equity side of things. Uh, I think maybe from a daily fee, if you have the local rule where you can move your ball to a smoother piece of sand and it doesn't impact the way you play, then that's probably going to remain for a while. Um, and then the final one is, as I saw at uh, Carmel Country Club this summer up in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, this one woman had a $7 plastic garden rake in her golf bag. And, you know, it was probably about 9, 10 inches wide. And, you know, it's just a typical garden rake you bought at the, the big box stores and uh, she had it in her golf bag. She said, well, I'm just trying to help the superintendent. Uh, I think we're still going to start the day. You know, you go out and spin the, spin the, the, the feature with the mechanical rake or you have your staff, if you have them, rake them. But, uh, you know, they, they are a hazard. Uh, Pine Valley and many others say, you know, you hit your ball there, that's, that's tough luck. Figure it out and move on. And, you know, if you hit it in a big footprint, you can always take an unplayable. It costs you a stroke, but you can drop it in the bunker. So I, I think it's almost 30-30-30 down the, down the way. I think you're going to get more rakes. Some clubs won't bother. Maybe it'll be a labor and a uh, money thing. And then, you know, some people like this woman I saw at Carmel, she'll just put a rake in her golf bag and put it on the back of her cart and go. This was a rule change that was implemented a few years ago, but really it was done at a lot more places by a lot more golfers this year. What about uh, putting with the flagstick in? Well, I love it, frankly. I think, you know, it does. I don't know whether it speeds up play or not. I, I really haven't evaluated that. But from a putting perspective, a target and, and a distance uh, evaluation uh, based you know, to relate to your stroke, I think it's a huge plus for the golfer uh, to have a target. I mean, I think judging distance from my perspective is much easier. Any putt inside three feet, now you can be firm because if you hit the flag stick and it balls in the hole, you know, a lot of people with the yips are going to putt there. Now, the problem is, is if it's going to benefit the golfer, then I'm waiting for the USGA to change the rules and you're going to have to remove the flag stick from the hole. I think in, during the COVID part of thing, you know, whether we put a pool noodle in or turn the whole liner upside down or some of those innovative guys that created ways to remove the ball from the hole, 
some questions about rules. I know at our club here, uh, our director of golf had to settle some arguments about whether the ball was hold or not. Uh, you know, and, and guys are you know paying for that big five dollar Nassau. The uh, there were some uh, interesting comments that came toward our director of golf, but I love it. I love the fact that it's in the uh, in the ground, and uh, you know, as long as the pool noodles are, are they use are yellow and the flag speaks yellow, it helps my old eyes. So I love it. Yeah, I don't see myself ever putting with a flag stick out again. It's become normal to putt with it in. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I, that's, it is now. It's becoming normal, so that's a good thing, I guess. And if, again, if it helps the uh, helps the, 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 the form of play, recreational or not, that, then that you know, if it, if it speeds it up and gets us to the next tee faster, then I'm all for it. You know, I'm, when I used to play, uh, you know, when I was working with the USGA, I'd go practice or play. I, I hardly ever pulled the fly stick out, anyway. If the ball went in a hole, you know, okay, it's a violation, but, you know, I'm not playing for anything, and, and I'm not turning the score because I was practicing. Now, under the old rules, if I had, if I was playing in an event or playing uh, in that Saturday four ball, and we were going to play by the rules, then you had to pull the flag out of the hole. Uh, the biggest issue is, you know, balls that are not settling in the bottom. You know, they settled in that area of the hole, but they've not settled at the bottom of the hole. Now, technically, with the thing raised, if you flip the uh, hole liner upside down, well, then that's, guess what? That's the bottom of the hole. But then the rule said the ball must be completely below the level of the, of the ground. So I hope it stays. It, 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 you know, for most people who are learning the game or playing casually, you know, or, or Karen and I going out and having some fun, I don't play by the rules anyways. I really don't care. It's all about having fun at that point. I have no data to support this i haven't seen any studies done about it but anecdotally i've noticed more people walking this year do you think that some of these people who decided to walk a golf course for the first time this year will keep doing it into the future i hope so because that's the essence of the game i mean there's no better way to you know as a kid you throw your sack on your back and you go play until you can't play anymore and and some of the best rounds i've of of golf i've ever had have been with a caddy uh, you know, I had, I had an honorary membership at Ballastraw, and I had a couple of, of caddies there that, that worked well with me, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have more fun once they kind of knew my game and I knew their personality. That's the only way to play golf. I mean, the essence of the sport, like I said, is you throw your bag out and on your back and go walk and, and hit it and chase it, and, and that's where you really get a feel for the game. I hope people continue to walk and find the benefits of the game as far as the physical fitness aspect. Um, there are some people that can't that can't walk, obviously, and they need to take that cart. And we talked about earlier that armada of carts on every hole, you know, one person per cart, I think is a little silly. But if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. And I know it, it doesn't help from a traffic wear perspective, uh, but it does get people playing the game. So you look, you try to win the war, not the battles in that regard. Uh, but if more people walk, you know, that's, that's good for all of us. What about post-round? Do you foresee the fist bump replacing the handshake long term? Frankly, I don't see the difference. You know, I, I really kind of don't understand <laughs> what's the difference of you and me bumping fists or shaking hands. I mean, is there more spores on the inside on our palms or on the back of our fingers? I, I don't. I don't really understand that one. Maybe I'm a. I'm, I'm coachable, so maybe somewhere down the way you can help me understand that there's a difference. But I frankly don't see the difference. I, I, 
I suppose if I were hugging someone at the end of the round, that might raise some eyebrows. But, uh, you know, I don't know why you can't take your take your hat off and stick out your hand, but especially if you've been cleaning your hands, you've been playing 18 holes with this person. I mean, at the end of the round, what difference does it make? But, <laughs> you know, there's some people that are frightened uh, to death, literally, and I don't want to have anybody uh, not, you know, put their health on the line. I don't see the difference, but it is what it is. I want someone who's polite enough to acknowledge their competitor at the end of the round. That's good enough for me. What do you think helped golf more this year? Some competing businesses in other forms of entertainment being closed or people working from home and having more time to go to the golf course? Well, I think it's both. But I think if you're working from home and you're not under the microscope of a you know, corporate entity or some immediate supervisors, you accomplish your task for the day and you have a couple hours, then I think what a better way to go out and enjoy, get some exercise and fresh air and play nine holes of golf. So I think the working at home has benefited golf. But I also think, you know, if you can't do the other things, uh, whether it's go to a gym or, you know, play pickup basketball or softball, you can't do anything of those because of social distancing regulations, then why not take up golf? Because you can go practice. You can go to a range and get in a booth that's eight feet wide and you're, you're socially distancing and you can try to hit a golf ball. Or you can go out with three complete strangers and everybody stays apart from one another and get some exercise and try something new. So I think it's a little bit, again, it sounds like a politician, you know, and I'm not kissing your baby, I'm stealing its lollipop, but it, I think it goes both ways in that regard. Yeah, at, at some point, some of these other forms of entertainment are going to come back at full capacity. People are going to have to go back into the office again at, at some businesses. What is the key for golf to retain some of these people that played more often this year? I think you you promote the camaraderie and friendship and being together. You promote the physical uh, benefits. Uh, you promote the challenge of the sport because you'll never master it. And you'll promote the environment that it's played in. There's not a better playing surface for any sport unless you're playing pond hockey up in northern New England where I grew up uh, in the middle of the winter that you can be outside and enjoy the, your surroundings and, and what God gave us on this planet by hitting a golf ball. Because there's some pretty cool venues to hit a golf ball So uh, from, a, from an environmental perspective. Yeah, unfortunately, the, the golf industry lost a lot of legends this year. I, I'm just thinking here at the, the list you had in the grainies, Pete Dye, Dr. Tom Watchke, Doug Sanders, Mickey Wright, uh, a few others uh, would be Peter Alice, Bill Benningfield, Jim Snow. What's going to be lost not having some of those industry legends around anymore? Well, you just just look at our profession of the people that you just mentioned. Um, you know, I learned from every one of the people that you just mentioned, uh, and I had the ability to pick them, up, pick up the phone, and call them with any question or any problem that I may have. And so did a lot of other people. And life goes on. You know, we all we all have our date, our due date, and uh, but when you when you lose. You know, a Tom Watchke, a Pete Dye, a Jim Snow, a Bill Benjafield, et cetera. That, that's, a, that's a lot of information because they were all innovators in our sport, and specifically our uh, profession. And that information source is gone. And the personality and the, and the personal uh, impact that they have with others coming up in the business is gone. And I would say to anybody that's out there that's been around a long time like me, 
you got to continue to give back. You, that's what I, what I say. I miss the social aspect of the conferences because, you know, spending 10 minutes with Tom Watsky at the Penn State show, and Tom is a friend of mine, I don't get that anymore. You know, just to see him and ask him a question, get some one-on-one knowledge, I don't have that anymore. So that's what we've got to do. Those of us that have been around, we need to continue to give, and we can't give as much as we can give through an email or a tweet, a text, or even a podcast. You know, the personal interaction is what is the most important thing about our game and and what we do in a profession. We deal with people, and when we're not dealing with people, I think it hurts, it hurts us all. We can't go through a year-in-review podcast or a look-ahead podcast without talking about the labor situation in the golf industry. You wrote a wonderful column about it a few months ago. Tim, what reason is there to believe that the labor situation may improve for golf in 2021? And in your mind, what are some things superintendents and clubs can do to make make the labor situation better? Wow. I hope the minimum minimum wage goes up because the biggest competition to golf course labor is the ability to get paid more to work inside an air conditioning and or heat. So the clubs have got to realize that to get things done on the golf course requires time, effort, and, of course, labor. And they need to have a substantial part of their budget, which is even now more than 60% in many instances dedicated to keeping good employees and training the next generation of good employees. It's not easy. Now, I think if you're looking for a job where you want to get uh, a decent pay and and, uh, some benefits and maybe get a little workout and get you out of the house, then there's no better way to to work, uh, I think, than on a golf course. Because I I never – the hardest transition for me in my career was when I was hired by the USGA to go from being outside – and living in, and maintaining golf courses in Miami and Miami Beach, Florida, to into an office uh, in the Northeast and, and have to stay there from 8.30 in the morning to 5 in the afternoon. I'd much rather be outside, and I think that's one of the hooks. Now, from a club perspective, as I said, you know, a lot of good clubs are in affluent areas, so you, if you can't provide housing for an intern or an assistant or someone that's trying to get started and get on their feet we're going to continue to see our programs, our agronomic programs decline because why get into this great profession if you're not going to get paid your due? So to keep a good assistant, you know, housing, a gas allowance, meal money, uh, some merchandise, you know, to, for some clothing, some breaks, anything they can do to benefit the employee will be, I think, well received. Okay, this has nothing to do with labor or the golf course superintendent, but what do you expect to see from Bryson DeChambeau in 2021? Whew. Probably more reps. Uh, I think it was interesting. I, you know, you go back, uh, I think it was Frank Stranahan back in the 50s was a big workout guy, Gary Player. Obviously, Nicholas was a strong guy. Um, David Duvall got into Fitness Tiger, but now Bryson has taken it to a new level. Um, you know, talking to some of the people at the PGA Tour, they, they're not too concerned about this so-called prodigious link that he has based on his physical uh, development. I, I don't, I think, you know, the pressure's on him now because, you know, what he did at Wingfoot and what he's done at some other tournaments, um, you know, where he could really use the length was at Augusta and he didn't do so good there. So I don't know if it's going to benefit anybody. I think we made a, maybe made much to do about nothing. If his strength is, is gained legally, then I don't have any problem with it. 
Now, the, 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 the tractors will say this is one more reason to roll back the golf ball, the golf ball and how far it travels, which I think would be the stupidest thing the game could ever do. Um, it's not about the agronomy. It's not about the ability, and it's not about making these great classic golf courses, you know, uh, be destroyed. It's about growing the game, and uh, that's that's the argument for bifurcation. So um, I don't think the tour thinks much about it uh, because they all hit it really far anyway, and no one's going to keep Justin Thomas out of the gym but Justin Thomas. So that's the way I look at it. I don't think it's uh, I think it's much to do about nothing right now. Uh, last thing here, uh, besides going outside in Hilton Head in the great weather and enjoying the game, what does 2021 have in store for Tim Morgan? Well, I, I hope I can, you know, I'm thankful for everybody that, that, that takes my service. So I'm, I'm hoping that that continues because I do try to help. Um, I don't know. Hopefully we have another great year and uh, my health stays uh, the way it is. Um, you know, getting a little older every year, it's just moving a little slower. But I hope I have as, as a successful year next year as I've had the last 42. So uh, I'm not really, I'm just looking for the bright side. I hope this game continues to grow. Uh, I will do everything I can to help it and those that are participating in it to get better based on my ability. Um, and I guess all the only thing I want to do is play more golf if I can. And the goal is to play every day that ends in Y, guy. That's the way I look at it. So I'm looking forward to a good year. I always do. Well, I'm just a magazine editor and nothing more, but I believe that means that you want to play golf seven days a week. If I, if I can, I would. Or at least hit a golf ball seven days a week because I'm addicted. I'm flat out addicted to it. Uh, you know, there's the times when you hit that one great shot and, you know, it's one of the five greatest feelings in the world and, you pull out the same club 10 minutes later, and it's like you don't know what end of the club to hold. And that's what frustrates me. So I'm always trying to get better. Heck, if you listen to the, the father, uh, I guess the father, daughter, son, son-in-law, whatever they call it now, tournament this weekend, you know, they had they, Lee Trevino, 81 years old, found out if he had a little more forward press on his hands, on his long arms, he hit it a little better. And he's 81. He's still trying to figure it out. So that's what, that's the coolest thing about the sport. And uh, the venue's changed, but the object is to get it from the T into the hole with as few strokes as possible, and that's my goal. Well, perfectly said. Tim, thanks for the time. Thanks for everything that you've done for golf course industry in 2020, and more importantly, thanks for everything you've done for the game of golf, uh, not only this year but throughout the course of your career. No, you are welcome, and I appreciate everybody that's listening, and uh, I wish everybody a happy holiday season and then long-term health and as Stan Zontek always said go golf